Hello, I'm Stephen Fry, a trustee of the Royal Academy of Arts and very proud to be so. Welcome to our podcast. Please welcome the RA's Head of Collections, Maurice Davies, who will introduce tonight's event. The Royal Academy was founded 250 years ago to do three things, all of which continue today. And all of these three things were concerned with defining who is a successful artist. The first thing is the Royal Academy was created as a way of formally recognising a select group of artists by making them Royal Academicians. In the Royal Academy's terms, the painters, sculptors, printmakers and architects that become Royal Academicians are successful artists. How else would we define success? Every Royal Academician since the founders, 250 years ago, has been elected either by the founders or by their successors. And decisions are made three times a year in a somewhat rough and tumble in-person voting system in a meeting called General Assembly, where the academicians get together and go through very complicated multi-round voting. But the approach is simple. Artists recognize the success of other artists. In this arena, the Royal Academy did and still does define success narrowly and exclusively. At any one time, there are around 100 Royal Academicians. The rule is actually there are 80, a maximum of 80 Royal Academicians under the age of 75. And then there's an uncapped number over 75. But that means typically you have 100 to 120. But it's a very small number. If you think about that compared to other sort of what you might call professional bodies, the numbers there are vast. There must be tens of thousands of members of the Royal Institute of British Architects, probably 100,000 members of the Royal Academy of Engineering. Here we have around 100, so it is very exclusive. And there have only ever been, in 250 years, fewer than 700 Royal Academicians. So it is exclusive. So that's the first thing the Royal Academy was founded to do and still does. The second of the three things that the Royal Academy was founded for, we established an art school with the aim of developing the next generation of successful artists. In the RA's terms, people who successfully progress through the RA schools are successful artists, albeit younger than the ones who are Royal Academicians. Crucially, as part of this, much of the teaching in the schools has always been done by Royal Academicians. And head of the schools, who we call the keeper, is elected by the Royal Academicians and is one of the Royal Academicians. So the approach here is that one generation of successful artists nurtures the next generation. And third in the list of our 250-year-old activities is the Summer Exhibition, which was originally called the Annual Exhibition because it was the only one, where anyone can submit a work to see whether they are selected as a successful or at least interesting artist. And again, it's the Royal Academicians who decide which other people, because the Royal Academicians are guaranteed works in the show, but they decide which other people can be admitted to the show and can be perhaps defined as at least interesting. So this is, again, artists encouraging or denying the success of other artists. The bar for success is set very differently here, with almost as, any, uh, almost as many artists being selected for the summer exhibition each year as there have been Royal Academicians in 250 years. So we have three very different, in a way, lines at which success is defined at the Royal Academy. So the Royal Academy is a long-standing, pretty democratic and fairly sophisticated machine for defining artistic success at a variety of levels and in a variety of ways. And the approach consistently is that every key decision about that is made by successful artists acting on behalf of the body of academicians, the body of successful artists as a whole. 
So today, the Royal Academy happily or merrily continues to define and recognise artistic success pretty much in the way it has done for a quarter of a millennium, with the single addition, really, of offering major monographic shows to some artists, so Ai Weiwei, um, Anish Kapoor and a few others, but again, not that many. When the Royal Academy started in 1768, there weren't many other definers of success in the British art world. So to generalize and simplify very slightly, there were very few collectors of contemporary art. There was only just the beginning of a popular market for artist prints. There was some vitriolic and passionate art criticism in newspapers and journals, but it was for a pretty small audience. There were essentially no contemporary art dealers. There were no public galleries showing contemporary art. There were no contemporary art auctions. There were no PRs boosting artists' reputations. And there were no art schools apart from the Royal Academy itself. So the Royal Academy largely had the field of defining artistic success to itself. This began to change fairly rapidly. And indeed, part of the reason for establishing the Royal Academy was to raise the profile of the visual arts. And of course, as the profile of the visual arts rose, more types of player came into the game of defining success and talking about art, making art, criticizing art. So now, as we are about to hear, the definers of success are varied and complex. So when we started planning this event, it was going to be a single debate to explore the question of who or what organizations define artistic success these days as part of a sort of wider endeavor we're engaged in to look at the links between the Royal Academy of 250 years ago and art now. But as we discussed the subject, me with my colleagues, Amy, who you just heard from, and Kira Milmo, we realized it was simplistic or in fact plain wrong to think there is any agreement about even what artistic success is, let alone who controls that success. And I'm pleased to say in the little chat I had with the panel just before, the view seems to be there is no clear way of defining artistic success or what that might mean. So is it success in the market, making a living from your art? Is it success with the wider public and media, having a profile as an artist? Is it success by being in a public museum collection or having a major exhibition in a public venue? Is it success by, re is it success by being recognized by your artist peers as in the 250-year-old Royal Academy approach? Or is it a more personal measure of success that matters? So these are the kinds of issues that will be explored in the series of talks and events called The Successful Artist here at the Royal Academy over the next couple of days. We're delighted that this discussion and all the discussions come in this series can be free of charge, thanks to support from the National Lottery through the Heritage Lottery Fund. The Heritage Lottery Fund have been a major funder, the largest funder, near enough, of the construction costs for the new Royal Academy. And as part of that, they're major supporters of the public programme here for the next year. They're supporting a vast range of activity, from apprenticeships to stonemasons who've worked on the facade, um, to training volunteer guides, to sessions for further education students and young families. And so this is part of this whole series, this wide programme of activity supported by Heritage Lottery Fund. So we hope we'll see you at other events in the Successful Artist Series over the next couple of days, as well as at other events over the next year. I'd like to put in one plug. So as well as there being lots of Successful Artist things, it's on Friday evening and Saturday during the day this week. Next weekend, that's the 30th in particular and the 31st, 
we've got another weekend festival as part of the Mayfair Arts Weekend when there are more free things taking place, in particular a bit of a takeover by students from University of the Arts. So I'd like to tempt you to come to that. There are also at the moment in the building several exhibitions to see that touch on this question of artistic success. There's of course the summer exhibition itself, there's an accompanying show called The Great Spectacle, which is about 250 years of gossip, spectacle and scandal at the summer exhibition. And then there's the annual school show. Two of the new free access displays from the RA collection also touch on definers of artistic success. In the collection gallery upstairs, we look at the rather deluded views of artistic success promulgated by the early Royal Academy and Joshua Reynolds. And we look at how those ideas fell apart quite quickly. And in the vaults, downstairs, because they're vaults, um, we look at the rather odd ways, perhaps, success was construed in the early art school at the Royal Academy. So you'll have to come back and visit often, come to events, look around the building, keep exploring the question of artistic success. But for now, I'm going to hand over to Sasha Craddock to introduce and chair this opening discussion in our Successful Artist series. Thank you. <laughs> Good evening and welcome. It's very exciting to be in this wonderful new lecture theatre. Um, I'd like to introduce the panel, first of all, and then some very simple ideas that we maybe might approach. So to my far right is Eliza Bonham Carter, who became the curator and head of the RA schools here in 2006. And before that, she was head of the Department of Fine Art at the University of Reading taught at Loughborough School of Art and at de Montford University and has been visiting artists at numerous universities and departments across the UK. She has a BA in Fine Art from Ravensbourne College of Art and Design and an MA in Painting from the Royal College and has exhibited widely as an artist, is a known artist and is collected, is in both public and private collections and so runs the schools here but is an artist. And to my right is Jonathan Watkins, who's the director of the Icon Gallery, and he's been the director of the Icon in Birmingham since 1999. And before that, he worked uh, as curator of the Serpentine Gallery and director of Chisholm Gallery in 1990 to 1995. But Jonathan's very... Um, known for traveling around the world and curating large international exhibitions. The Biennale of Sydney in 1998, I remember when he went to do that. Facts of Life, Contemporary Japanese Art at the Hayward Gallery in 2001. The Tate Triennale, 2003. Shanghai Biennale, 2006. Sharjah Biennale, 2007. The Guangzhou Triennale, 2012. And he was on the curatorial team for the rework Palestinian Biennale 2007, where he put on the Onkawara project in Bethlehem. Um, he's created the Iraq Pavilion for the Venice Biennale in 2013, and so much more. He rates <laughs> small between the stars, large against the sky at the Quebec Biennale. Enough Biennales already. Yeah, yeah. And then to my left is Yinka Shonibari, who was born in London in 62, moved to Lagos in Nigeria at the age of three, and then returned to UK to study fine art at Byam Shaw School of Art, and then Goldsmiths College London, where he received his masters. Um, over the past decade, Yinka's become well known for his exploration of colonialism, post-colonialism, within the contemporary context of globalization. But really, 
Yinka's work is, he shows many, many exhibitions. I just want to draw, draw your attention to obviously his presence in Sensation, the famous Sensation here. Um, Nelson's ship uh, in, uh, on the fourth plinth in Trafalgar Square. Um, his presence at Documenta, at the last Documenta, yeah? the one before. And the one with the one, one, yeah, that one. Um, he has, I mean, we're just coming up to the most recent because I'm not going to go into a great list, it just goes on forever. But um, he was part of the, the Diaspora Pavilion and the Venice Biennale, the last Venice Biennale, and that was absolutely fantastic. And, um, and has recently curated an exhibition just around the corner at, um, as a, at, at Stephen, I can't remember Stephen, Friedman. Stephen Friedman, which is a fantastic exhibition just down here and worth visiting if you possibly can, if you're nearby. So welcome, speakers. Now, the thing about this is that it is not going to be a situation where individuals talk to images and the images run ahead and behind and someone's left and a different relationship. So in a way, it's very important that you feel involved in this discussion because we're all starting at the same point. We're going to discuss among us. I'm going to try to chair the situation. We're going to talk very, very openly about the nature of success and question, really, assumptions. And we will talk about how perhaps the relationship or the characterization of success has changed over the last 20 years since the beginning of the internet for a start, changes in relationship to understanding of it, the market, all those things. But also, we really want to question who actually defines that? Who defines success? Who decides who is successful? Are there some people that are really secretly plotting, <laughs> maintaining people's positions or putting people down? Who is in charge? And another question that we must absolutely attempt at this moment, and that is something that's changed perhaps. What does qualify success? Um, it is not necessarily the obvious. It is not necessarily fame and fortune. And as we know, um, that can sometimes do you great harm. So what qualifies it? And perhaps I think that Eliza will perhaps help us initially by talking about the fact that in the past, artists have qualified themselves and understood what quality is. But before we get to that, I suppose I'll just do a little narrative. You get into art school, you're thrilled. The family says you're on your way. If you're lucky enough, later on, you'll go to the RA schools. Very hard to get into. Um, success is to be able to go to art school and to make work. So already there's a layering of expectation, there's a layering of, um, of possibility. You leave art school. If you've left this art school, maybe you are re related to a notion of success at a level, perhaps that if you related, left a postgraduate art school somewhere else, maybe not so much. Do you manage to have a studio? Do you manage to keep a studio? How can you pay for that studio? Do you think your work is about actually making work in a studio? Later, you organize exhibitions, if you're well organized. You use your friends, and your friends are people, a peer group you make mainly at art school. Is a buzz around you, perhaps. What does that mean? Who is looking? What is the perception of that? Maybe a gallery. 
But you don't wait for that. You wait, if you wait for a gallery to come to you, you will wait forever. So how do you all, is success actually getting going, keeping going, or is it something right at the end? So, Eliza, when we were talking earlier on, do you think that's cutting to the chase, really, this idea of who might be responsible for the notion of success? Who can qualify it? Well, um, I'd like to go backwards a bit. Hmm. Um, because I guess um, one of the things that's um, particularly difficult um, or, or interesting about uh, such a thing as um, getting into postgraduate is that it isn't, and getting into the Royal Academy Schools, so, so one of those steps on that route, is that um, that's as much about what you bring with the work you make as it is about the work you make. Mm. So there are really brilliant artists who might apply to the RA schools that don't get a place, because is the RA schools going to be useful to them? You know, is that really essential to them? So, so there's already a kind of wrinkle in the, in the kind of success story, mm. because um, we're talking about impact. We're not talking about brilliance. Um, but I think... Um, can you explain that slightly? I mean that we're talking about the kind of impact a postgraduate programme can have on, on an individual, yes. rather than getting a place being an indicator of your, of your brilliance. So, so in terms of an external view of, of, of getting into postgraduate being an indicator of... of it's, it's a more complicated mm. way in. Um, and then I think there's... There's quite an interesting exhibition in the Royal Academy School Show, which is the end of year show at the moment, by uh, an artist called Tom Langley. Um, now, the, the exhibition is of people who've done three years postgraduate study. Um, but what uh, Tom Langley's uh, show does is he makes a huge canvas high across the corner of a room. And what that canvas says, it has writing on it. And what it says is, gives the show. And what Tam Langley is doing is telling the truth of what postgraduate final show is. It's about showing what you do and how you do it and hoping that other people will take interest. Now, Tom's someone who wants a show. Other people may want something different, and maybe we, we should mm. talk a bit about what that different thing might be. So, gives a job as... It's gives a job was yeah. Yossa in Boys from the Blacks a long time ago. Yeah. And so it's gives a show. Yeah. Um, did you see that, Inka? Gills' job. <laughs> did you see gives a show? Did you see that boy's work? I haven't seen it yet. Oh, okay, doesn't matter. <laughs> um, I think another thing before uh, we get on is that to also talk about the relationship to success changing um, in the kind of perhaps more orthodox modernist principle, the artist would never want to feel that he or she had succeeded in order to make the work better. So that we're, that's the idea. So we're bringing another question, whether it's the internal, whether it's you, you determine your success, whether you have a notion mm. of success, or whether it's exterior. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the idea that you're satisfied it's as an artist is um, prob probably means that you're not successful. I mean, in that, mm. you know, given that sort of paradigm. I think also the, the point that Eliza's making is, is an I important one, and it, and it boils down to the fact that art is so un undefinable. 
you know, and, and you require some kind of consensus. It's the stances that are assumed around an artistic gesture or an art object, and it's the way it's received and then who's receiving it within this art world. If it was simply a gallerist, you know, who liked it and decided to make an exhibition of this young artist's work, you know, that wouldn't go very far unless there was some strong critical response. And then there is the, the peer uh, response that was being referred to by Morris and, you know, the idea that other artists think that this artist is, is um, worthy of attention. I mean, there's, and then there are people like me, I mean, curators who make exhibitions and, you know, if, 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 it's, if it's a recognition purely within the art market, I mean, I can, you know, I can think of so many artists who are successful who make a lot of money within the art market, but they're yearning for some kind of critical response. Why has nobody reviewed my That's exhibition? Right. I mean, it's great, yes, I'm selling out my exhibitions, but, you know, to oligarchs and hedge fund guys, but, you know, nobody's writing a serious review mm. in the Financial Times Weekend uh, and Supplement. And I think it's got so much to do with the fact that it's not like running a race, you know, you're successful if you win the 100 metres race. I mean, it's so easily defined, but you know, what we're doing in the art world is so I, I think I need to interrupt and ask Yinko in a very straightforward way on account of Yinko being an artist. Yinko, do you, I mean, this is probably asking you to, to say everything all at once and we've only just started, but can you talk about how you feel your success is determined? I mean, do you, when you finish making a work, like for instance the fantastic work in Venice in the Diaspora Pavilion, um, did you say, right, that is, I consider that a success? Or did you wait for someone to tell you? Are you grown up enough to do it on your own? Well, I think it's impossible to know whether you're successful or not. I actually think that the audience makes the artist in a way. You know, I think it's very difficult to, because I've never really been entirely satisfied with anything I've ever made. I mean, you know, there's always something I could do more. There's always something I can do better. So it's very, very difficult to... I mean, you are surprised if people like what you've done and you know that, you know, you want to dialogue with the audience. Um, but then, you know, th there's the issue of making your own luck as an artist, making your own success. So I can only speak to personal experiences and also what I've actually been through. Um, you know, I went to Goldsmiths College and I graduated at, there was a huge recession when I, when I graduated. And so, I mean, the famous show that everyone talks about is Damien Hirst's uh, Freeze exhibition. And, you know, and the number of artists were in that show, you know, Fiona Ray, Sarah Lucas, Damien Hirst, Anya Galaccio, do you remember that show? I do. Um, there was a recession, and artists felt they had to get together to do their own thing, to create their own success, if you like, to do their own PR. And so there, there's the issue of, you know, actually making your own luck in that sense, and not, not waiting, as not you said waiting. earlier, not, not waiting. And my work, I mean, the first, I don't know whether you might call it success, but the first rung on the ladder for me was that I was in a show in a gallery called, it, we artists organized, we organized it ourselves. And it was in a space called Independent, Independent Art Space in Chelsea. Chelsea. 
and um, two friends, uh, that Richard Cohen uh, works here, and Dan Sturgis. They invited me to participate in that show, but the space happens to be near Charles Sachi's house. In, you, you know, and, and then Charles Sachi saw that show, and you know, cut the long story short, you know, I was showing with uh, Stephen Friedman Gallery because Stephen Friedman um, also saw that exhibition. So he invited me to show with him. And then within a couple of weeks, he sold my work to Charles Sachi. And then I ended up in Sensation. So, um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, so I ended up uh, doing Sensation. Then Matthew Slotover from Freeze uh, Magazine. Well, I made a show that was at Batsy Art Center and I invited Matthew Slotover to come and see the show. And then he wanted to write about the work in Freeze magazine. So, but I, those are things that I actually instigated myself. Like I didn't wait, I didn't assume that people would like my work. I just, you know, did things to make it happen. And then after Matthew Slotover put that article in Freeze, more people got to know about the work. And of course, when I graduated at Goldsmiths College, um, I was in the Backlist Young Artist Award at the Serpentine Gallery. And so that was my first big public thing, actually. And, um, but from the Serpentine Gallery, Matthew Slotover knew who I was when I asked him because he'd seen that work there. Mm. So there are a combination of factors. Um, and then that show kind of, and then since I joined Stephen Friedman Gallery, he, and a lot of curators also got interested in my work because people were talking about it. So a number of, it's been extremely important actually, you know, because um, Jonathan, you were talking about kind of critical, uh, you know, response to the work and, and, you know. So I got written about in Freeze and then other people wrote about the work. But then they were writing about the work because I was actually making exhibitions so they could see the work. And then, so people got to know about the work that way. And then Stephen started taking my work to um, international art fairs. So places like Basel Art Fair, um, you know, the Armory Show. And so I, I suddenly found myself in this sort of market. Um, I, but then it started with really critical writing. Uh, but before that, my early career when I first left Goldsmiths, I mainly showed in non-commercial exhibitions mm. and then you know, artist-run spaces, um, you know, regional museums or regional spaces. A pinnacle of success being your exhibition at Icon Gallery. <laughs> well, yes, I showed at the Icon Gallery, yes. Was, yes. You've travelled a long way, but I'd like just to add in something about that moment in that recession, late 80s, early yes. 90s. Because what happened when that recession hit was that a lot of galleries closed. Mm. Yes. And so, so what then, and then, and also space was cheap. You yes. Could get, yes. You wouldn't yes. believe how empty London was. Exactly. So exactly. artists yeah. then had real power. Yeah. Yes. Because they could do stuff cheap and easy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the galleries were diminished in their power. Yes. Um, and I think that's has more to do with the success of the YBAs than anything else, actually, yeah, because it yeah. just allowed that thing to happen. And then you had places like City Racing open, exactly, Cubit yes. Studios open, yeah, which also yeah, had a gallery, yeah. all of these independent artist-run yes, spaces, yes. which were kind of like, you know, 
uh, well, the RA is, of course, a prototype of all of those places. Yes. You know, it's the original artist-run space. What's interesting, too, listening to Yinka, sorry, just no, about how on. success breeds success. For example, yes, exactly. you know, you've got a successful Charles Saatchi. You know, when the Saatchi gallery was successful, I mean, it's changed out of uh, recognition uh, now. Mm. Goldsmiths was a successful art school. Yes. Matthew Slodover was a successful That's editor right. of a successful magazine. Mm. And, you know, the fact that... And then, of course, you're a successful artist, and then that has resonance as far as they're concerned. So there's a kind of um, extraordinary sort of interdependence and uh, osmotic nature of success. Mm. I think when I've noticed also there are certain prizes, for example. Yes. And yeah. certain people will win a prize and it just catapults them into a, yes. a much um, yes. greater and exposure. Then, well, that, yeah. And then other people win a prize and nothing yeah, happens. And what I was going to say that, is that the Turner, I was nominated for the Turner Prize. <laughs> and after the Turner Prize nomination, I mean, something changed after that, actually very specifically. And then, you know, and then the fourth plinth in Trafalgar Square was a major, major change. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just want to point out that we're talking about a time where, A, it was, there were a smaller number of everything. Yeah. Yeah. And secondly, what Yinka is very involved in, was, which is the example of Trafalgar Square, is of the notion of, public, of speaking to the public in a particular way. Uh, when we, before we came in here, we wanted to talk, Yinka talked about somebody who was in a studio opposite him, who was a very different kind of artist. Perhaps you could explain that. And I mean, yeah. I'm not being Pollyanna, but we have to no, look at no, different no, no, kinds no, of absolutely. making work. No, 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 no I, was, I was just saying, so I had uh, a space studio a while back, and um, there was an artist across from me, and he just, you know, quietly went into his studio every day. And then, you know, but he's been painting all these paintings for years but he never showed them to anyone. And he had just had just enough space for himself in the studio. The, the space was packed with paintings. But he seemed happy that way. He came in every day, mm. made his painting, never showed it to anyone, and then left. And so that's, an, you know, but he was happy with what he was doing. So that's another, you know, he was maybe the process, maybe that was the important thing for him. Uh, mm. exp exploration, making the work. Um, and I don't think every artist wants it necessarily to be a commercial thing or even fame or anything like that. I mean, you know, so I guess, you know, as you say... I mean, some people consider success actually following syst being systems artists or the sort of people that get up in the morning know exactly what they're going to do all day, mm -hmm. the equivalent of whittling a stick. You know, something that is absolutely, and that is, you know, as you said, there is a notion of process and so on. Yes. So it's kind of quite interesting that one goes from the relationship to the public, an idea of people projecting. I mean, I think generally it's accepted that artists really, it was quite good for them to show their work. But a lot of people think that it's important for people like you to go ferreting around in really rather obscure places yeah, yeah. to find yeah. the unseen as opposed to the scene. And mm. that, that's a very, that, you know, so there's a lot of people who, there are people that wait. There are some people that are happy, but some people that wait in their virtue. There's a kind of notion of virtue in art. 
I love this this story. I mean, he is like the existentialist hero, isn't he? I mean, yeah. uh, in his little in his little shrinking room, uh, and he's got his project, like you know, reading a library from A to Z. But then, you know, we were talking earlier about uh, uh, an artist. And I think we can, and we can refer to him because uh, he's no longer with us. But we almost said in unison, Howard Hodgkin, because I mean he had all the trappings of success: Venice Biennale. I think he did win the Turner Prize early on. Right at the beginning. Major retrospectives, and yet he was convinced, unlike your existentialist hero, that he was not successful. And he and was every, being overlooked. Yeah, I mean, he was Sir Howard <laughs> Hodgkin, RA, MBE, OBE, everything. Yeah, but yeah, still. Yeah. You know, at the end of a long night in the colony club. Well, it wasn't in the colony, but somewhere else. A lot of drink taken. Yeah. Why Very was he not? Why was he not more successful? Yeah. And this was about critique, was it? Yes. This was about it, a not lot about column inches, about column yeah. inches, and attention, and critical attention, and that is very important. Mm. Mm. And um, as you were saying, and I'm sorry to repeat, but it should be repeated. There are people who really, really cannot believe that they're making so much money and nobody's taking them seriously. Mm. So is the success in the market? And has the market changed the relationship to success? And have art fairs changed? Because I think they've changed that a lot. And also, I really think that I, perhaps you could... Can somebody help about the social media and how that's changed people's relationship to an understanding of success? How many likes and how many followers yeah. do you get on your Instagram account? Well, you're, uh, do you Instagram? You're asking the wrong person. <laughs> 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 yes, no, I'm still coming to terms with color television. I, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I think that uh, the things like Instagram mm. um, have provided some artists with new access to people to buy work. I, this is what I understand. I've yet to meet yes. someone who's sold work through the internet, but I, through Instagram, but I believe this, this happens. For sure. Um, I, I, I'd be interested to know how many people have sold work purely through Instagram, or if there, it doesn't need to be some kind of prior engagement or knowledge before that purchase is made, and what, what kind of level of, of investment people are making. Um, but I can imagine if you are an artist who's known, then that that could be... I mean, I think that social media can, keep, can create terrible disquiet and unhappiness. Yes. I mean, because I think, you see yeah. what other people are doing. There is, there is all that stuff about mm. people not having black cats and people making square paintings, yes. apparently. Because I mean, social, you know, I mean, my studio, you know, use social media. I have, you know, a lot of young people who work in my studio, and they do it. They do it for me. You must be really <laughs> successful. <laughs> well, no, they understand the technology, so they do it for me. But I do think it is, I it do is think Instagram is a really useful communication yeah. channel. I think you can... Uh, use Instagram to talk about what's going on in your studio. Mm. I personally find Instagram accounts that are only studio-based quite boring, actually. I don't. I want to have other things going on. But I think I know uh, some artists who don't have a website anymore. They only have an Instagram account. So that's their way of communicating what they do. Um, so I think those things are changing. And in, like everything, you know, there are good sides to it. And, 
But I think it's much more about an, a sense of a knowledge of success. Of other or a visualization of success, of other people's success. Yes, and it's yeah. much more, much more available. Whereas before, you'd wait for someone to yes. write a proper bit of criticism, kind of, in a newspaper. And it'd be one thing, two art magazines, and that's it, and waiting for Art Monthly to pay your attention. Now there's this complete sort of so-called democratization of, of, a, of an accessibility of information, which reinforces certain, I think, very strange ideas about personality, behavior, artistic behavior, hanging out. So I think that they can, it can create distress yeah. and, and a think, sense of familiarity. Yeah, yeah. hashtag success. Yes. You know, it, the, I mean, all of, you know, I live a successful, cool, sexy life. Let me show you the life. Yeah. Well, that also, yeah. I think, you know, I think it's, it's not, you know, I wouldn't claim to really understand it, but I don't want to be entirely negative about it because I think actually people do get inspired by images they see. That's right. And people do use it that way, and they use it to record images and so on. Um, because I, no, I, I run a project space. Yes, it's, and I didn't know. mention that. Can you explain that, please? Because well, yes, so um, I have a space called uh, Guest Projects, and the idea is artists send proposals in, and they get a residency in my studio. Well, it's an exhibition space downstairs uh, for a month. And this space is an experimental space. It's all, all art forms. And the reason, actually, I opened up this space is, is that after the, uh, you know, when the property prices went up re really high and it got really difficult for artists to find those spaces that artists used to be able to, to find, um, I realized that it was getting increasingly difficult for artists to um, find spaces to show work in. So, um, and the space has been very, uh, it's been very successful, um, and it's all, all art forms. But the most important thing about this space, I mean, we are talking about success, but the most important thing about this space is actually providing a platform for artists to fail in. Exactly. Uh, because if you work with a commercial gallery, you've got huge pressure on you. Mm -hmm. You know, I've shown, you know, over 200 artists in this space. And, you know, it's in, it's in Hackney, it's in East London. And um, artists have brought, it's also been an opportunity for artists to bring critics, collectors, and people to see their work and to see their exhibition. I wanted to do that also because I got my <coughs> success through somebody inviting me to show in a similar kind of space. So it can actually work because mm. you have a platform. Mm. And the, the important thing about this space is that we don't have revenue funding. Artists bring their own marketing and they have to invigilate their own shows. We, we just give them the space and they have to pay for their own electricity and um, heating. They have a separate meter. It's a very simple formula. Mm. We don't they have to go and get their own funding. So the artists have raised, you know, they've got their funding from the Arts Council. And um, we open up the, um, um, you know, invitations uh, once a year. And then we do every three months, we make, a sup we make supper clubs uh, based on really well-known artists. And about 60 people attend. And the money from the supper clubs, go, people buy tickets. We get, you know, and we put that back into the space. 
But I wanted to see if it was possible to run a space without revenue funding. And, and, I ma really and I've managed it for about 10, 10, 10 years. Yeah. Without the expectation from the funders? Yes. In terms of and who it's you free. do? You know, I can do, and the artists who showed in the space previously select the people who are going to show there. That's really interesting. Yeah, so that's, mm. you don't have the kind of nepotism as well because it, it just changes all the time. Mm. And I only have one vote. I don't really have a say. So it's not actually up to me. It's up to whether the artists like your proposal or not. So we're, we're back in a way, aren't we, to artists helping, helping other artists? Yes. You know, it's about, and artists selecting artists. And, artists, mm. artists and selecting so your measure of success in that space is entirely based on how much you put into the space. Because mm. I also wanted, I mean, I do believe in artists being entrepreneurial. You know, I believe in that because I think the only way, you're only going, the only way you can carry on working as an artist is if you can actually make it work practically and economically. And by that, I mean money. I mean, you know, you need to be able to buy your paint and pay for your, you know, space. So I'm very pragmatic about it. And I think, um, so it's one of the motivations for providing that platform. But so there is that kind of contradiction of wanting people to be entrepreneurial but being able to fail, which is, of course, makes work better. But it is important that the market has, in a way, changed or does actually, I mean, does it allow critical or creative success, or does it hamper it in some way? Is there some holding back? I, I think in the last period, the most recent period, I think that the way that the gallery world is moving is, is problematic for artists. I think there, in London, as more galleries appeared in London, there was a kind of layers, an interesting kind of ecosystem mm. of galleries uh, which supported different types of artists at different points in their careers in different ways, appropriately. Um, and I think what we've seen recently is that whole middle section beginning to erode because I think because of the uh, impact of art fairs, the expense of yeah. needing to um, pay for a premises in very expensive London and then um, also travel the world with your artists. That's incredibly expensive. And so that, that's left a, a kind of hole uh, which is going to be, which is very difficult for artists. Um, mm. But maybe, I've been thinking, I mean, maybe what it does is it re-empowers artists again. So maybe you will have that kind of layer of kind of blue chip galleries selling very expensive work for, for a very, uh, of a very few artists. And then maybe underneath that, we'll have again a kind of wonderful sort of mulch of artists making things happen and, and kind of creating that, that, their own alternative. There's so many space. interesting alternative spaces cropping up now without um, <coughs> sub subsidy, without Arts Council funding, and so many people doing things in their own homes yeah. uh, these days in a way that they weren't, in the same way that I mean, it's your place and you're doing it downstairs. It's a fascinating development. And also regionally. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the other thing. Yes. Is London is no longer Tenable. where you have to be. And also Margate. it's very hard to be here financially. Yeah. But I just want to ask you, Jonathan, because you, you, you work a lot in, with international biannuals and, and so on. Yeah. Do you think there's a correlation between sort of the success of the market and the kind of work you would select for biannuals, or is there a kind of split? 
Are there different kinds uh, of work? It's a split. Yeah. It's a split. Can you talk about that? Yes. In fact, I, in fact, I think increasingly it's a split. Uh, whereas previously I probably would have said that, you know, the independent not-for-profit art world and the, and the um, market were sort of driving in the same direction but in different vehicles it was important that they were different vehicles. Mm. I think um, I think there's a, a sort of an interesting confusion that's occurring. At the same time these two art worlds are moving in opposite directions and I think there's a I mean one of the things that I like a lot about the I mean why I got into this business in the first place was the critical analysis, the you know the the um, continual sort of interrogation, self-analysis of the institution of the art world, and and the kind of market that Eliza's describing, there isn't very much room for that. I mean, it's the last thing you you want is sort of philosophical skepticism in the middle of an art gallery. You know, as somebody's trying to sell something, you know, the latest, you know, the last one in the edition, you've got to buy it. And, and you know, it's all about putting a very positive spin on stuff. And, and, and I was just about to say, in relation to what uh, uh, Eliza's observations, isn't it interesting, actually, that these, these galleries are producing their own magazines now? But of course, it's not a place for that kind of um, polemic uh, sort of art writing or sort of um, uh, mm. uh, philosophical thinking. It's more like a uh, sort of a glorified, beautifully illustrated press release. You know, mm. a, you know, you know, buy this stuff. It's so interesting. And the objects and the the whole parallel with the state. It's a really interesting time. Education. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a funny kind of relationship with the market because I think about this all the time myself in the sense that I want to be able to kind of continue to push the boundaries of my practice. And, and that's very important because every artist must always do that. But then you also need to be able to, you need a commercial angle so that you can make the work. You know, because if you don't have that, so, I mean, I think that the way that a lot of artists work, I mean, I listened to a very interesting uh, lecture by Christo the other day. Uh, Christo has got a piece at the Serpentine uh, Gallery. You all know his work. And, you know, they make these amazing projects that you can't actually sell. They're kind of intangible in a way. But, and yet, they have to sell their drawings. Because, and he said, I mean, he was very pragmatic about it. You know, they started two companies uh, to basically deal with the commercial side of their practice. Um, you know, when Christo and John Claude were, work, were working together. Because you want to make incredible work, but I mean, you know how expensive it is in London, like studios and everything. So I think it's a balance. You have to find, you know, maybe you do editions, you do prints, mm. or you do, um, but to actually, you know, you might want to do an incredible, you know, an amazing uh, uh, installation but then you need some kind of structure to support that, the production of that. And that's, a lot of artists get kind of confused between the kind of commercial, how do you balance the commercial angle that will keep your studio sustained, but then you want to push the boundaries of your work. But you must come to terms with it as an artist because it won't go away. I mean, you have to deal with this stuff. And so, you know, when I was a much younger artist, I used to think, oh, you know, 
bad, bad, bad capitalists. <laughs> but <laughs> yes, but you know, but then actually, the project space I'm able to uh, now you know provide for younger artists without the support of commercial galleries, I would never be able to do that. Even though actually, I want to encourage experimental practice in those spaces. I will not be able to do it without the support of, you know, the mm -hmm. Basel Art Fair mm -hmm. and um, all of this. So, it, it, you know, it, it remains a contradiction in my head. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's the kind of bite in the hand that feeds you, in a way, because my work is very critical, as you know. I mean, it's a, you know, I make critical work, but you do have to kind of bite the hand that feeds you in that sense. So, should we talk about the Royal Academy now, then? Yes. And it's a fantastic. It's great. Place, well, you, it? did you have some? Did you have some questions to ask about the notion of success, i.e., being becoming it had a mission? Well, it was the a kind of role of that. Yes. I mean, I thought what Morris said was 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 great, very yeah. to the point, because you know, in in this variety of ways, it is um, uh, defining success. And to, I didn't realise that the that the, the number of RAs was so small. It's really small. Really fascinating. Mm. And the, and the idea of artists, uh, you know, the kind of peer review that occurs through the Royal Academy and... and but, there, you know, but not every... But then, of course, not every RA is successful or would even no. think of themselves as successful exactly. in a way that, uh, you know, Yinka's um, describing. I mean, probably quite a few of them are actually a bit like the guy the in, the studio, the in the studio whose, <laughs> whose space is shrinking because the work is building up. I don't know that much about but, it, but I imagine it's interesting. But also going back to Yinka's conversation about you know commerce and um, art, you know how they sit together. Um, one of the really extraordinary things about the Royal Academy was how brilliant its business model was back in 1768 when it was set up, because it was determined the academicians were determined that the school should be free, the art school should be free and they worked out that they could pay for this with an annual exhibition, and that is still the case with the summer exhibition. I mean, there are other things as well, but, the, but it actually worked as an idea. Um, and uh, so that the sale of work is very much at the heart of the academy, the sale of academicians' work, as yes. well as the sale of people who've who, who sent in. And yes. it's actually good for people to hear that, because I think a lot of people aren't aware of the fact that actually as opposed to paying fees in a lot of places, the people who come to the schools here don't. Yeah. And it's such a privilege to come and actually mm. learn for three years well, from like, very good people. Like your space, yes. it's a place where you can, you can really experiment and yes. take risks because you're not carrying a rock of no. uh, debt on your, mm. on your back. Yes, and on the question of the Royal Academy, I mean, when I was elected Royal Academician, I mean, that for me, that was actually more than commercial success because it was other artists who did that, yeah. you know. And I, I have a lot of respect for, you know, for for artists. And I was so shocked that they would, you know, they would vote for me uh, to be here. And then I heard that, you know, you do have to have more than fifty percent of the vote, and you know, and that made me really pleased. So, in a sense, actually, that that is the success when, you know other artists say, yes, we, you know, we, we like what you do. There's another um, a group of artists who I think are 
potentially the more flattering than even that, which is younger artists who endorse older artists. And I think that there's, there's quite a recent, I mean, there's quite an interesting history mm. in recent years of, of younger artists, um, in a way, digging up well, not quite. Well, they but, are. <laughs> but, but finding, 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 yes. refinding somebody who perhaps had a, a moment some twenty years before, and but, refinding them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yes. there's nothing. I don't think there can be anything more wonderful for an artist than to be uh, respected by the by the next generation. Exactly. I think that is, yeah. Exactly. Mm. So we've. I mean, you know, there's there's no end to this. It's just fascinating. The idea that, um, you know, of course, you know, we, we're trying to work out if really the ultimate person to decide your, on success is you yourself, or whether that you're complete, you know, whether you're just deluding yourself. If you carry on with the discipline, if you carry on, you're a good person, you can somehow make money, maybe you move out of London, you get a studio elsewhere, and you just carry on, you don't get, you maybe get one day teaching, but that whole model is in a way shifted, so it's very much more hard to in a way be creative, so you have to find other models, and then the people who maybe look for those other models, maybe it's restriction on, on schools and possibilities, but I think that, I think that, you know, we do understand that a lot of people who look and imagine of someone's very well known, they imagine A, that they're better off than they are. Yes. And that's sort of through the internet or whatever, there was just sort of notoriety. Um, people who are just terribly known and then somehow there's a presumption. We also have an approach to success where there are certain artists that we presume are, that have got through the eye of the needle and in a way criticism isn't applied at the same level, so and yet, and they're the people screaming out for more criticism or more attention. So there are just a massive range of possibilities in, in terms of definition. And probably all of you here are thinking, God, we've just been so boring because we're being a bit contrary and we're not actually talking about really obvious notions of success like that really well-known person and mm -hmm. that one. And actually what's happened is that there is a kind of layer of those people in the art world that are kind of, a lot from the 90s, who became household names through a sort of a revival of a notion of romantic art, perhaps. Mm -hmm. So anyway, all that is just massive range and very hard for people to ask questions following from that. But I'm sure we have questions for the panel as well as comments from any number of you, please. And please feel free to kind of approach all those points we've talked about or any one of them. I'm not an artist myself. So I think it's been an interesting discussion here about the notion of success. So it's thinking about what's the bottom line of success, whether it's through, um, through your own innate skill or whether it's through that um, assessment by peers. I'm just fascinated by the whole topic. Actually, I was thinking, does, I mean, again, picking up on a point that was made earlier about, about posthumous success. You know, people who are successful, they, 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 they're not literally dug up, but they, mm. but they have, you know, they've been long gone. I mean, mm. was Van Gogh successful? I was think. Rembrandt successful? Was Mozart successful? I mean, did they lie on their deathbeds and think that was a successful artistic career? Or did they think... I think they did. They didn't think it was a good career, but they yes. thought, God, I did good work. 
Do you think? I, I would like to think so. Some kind of uh, consolation. Because they all died in such poverty. Yes. But, well, I mean, in my opinion, I think making art is success. That's the point. I think that just the fact that you're able to actually make art. And I think Van Gogh was successful, you know, because he made that. I mean, if he wasn't doing that, he would, he would have been even in, in an even worse position, I, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's art in a way feels like a, a, a lifeline sometimes, because it kind of keeps you alive, you know, you have to do it. There's something very compelling about it. So I think actually that is success. I would completely agree with you, whether he's uh, the man in the studio getting with a smaller and smaller space, or the world-renowned artist. The successful artist is the artist who's in their studio. Yes. And that's what matters. Then there's another thing. I do have something written down here which says the successful artist is dead. Um, and I think that's, that's partly because you can then kind of see a body of work and you can see its beginning, its middle, its end, and all of mm. those. And so that there's a, a really different view that you have of, of that work. Um, but of course, there's, the dead artist's success goes up and down. I mean, Caravaggio disappeared throughout the 19th century and was kind of, re, you know, reborn. Um, Rembrandt, and, too, had... And you know. that brings a very different relationship to time because, actually, has success to be forever? That's a relationship to time. Is it short-lived? You know, a small thing, making, doing, thinking, all these things. Um, please. Uh, who next? person there, please, and then, and then you, Dan, afterwards. Um, how do you think that success is going to be defined in the future? Because at the moment, with it being so expensive for studio space in London, and with the um, education being so expensive, are all the artists just going to be the really rich children? And, you know, like, what's the future going to look like? Mm. Oh, they have to move to Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we also need to sort out the EBAC because some children aren't going to get that opportunity in the first place. Well, I mean, I think that artists will always be successful because I think art is a very personal thing. And, you know, you don't... I remember when I used to do tutorials with students and some of the students used to complain, oh, you know, my studio is not big enough or I don't have a studio... And, and I used to say to them, actually, you don't need a studio. Your studio is in your head. You know, so I don't think that actually you need all the props to be successful as an artist. You know, I think as long as you love doing what you're doing and you can do it, you know, a good artist can create anywhere with anything. You actually don't need the artificial traps of success to, be, to feel successful as an artist. You know, creativity is not about what you have or what other people say you can have. I mean, they're about yourself and your, what's inside you. And only you can put limits on that. Nobody else can. Firstly, thanks for all the points. I found them very interesting so far. I wondered if you wanted to talk about the idea of an establishment or the establishment. Obviously, you've touched on the history of the RA and how exclusive it is, and all the references you've made to artists in the past, I think exclusively have been to males. Um, so I guess there's something to say about who defines 
like the people that get to become artists. Obviously, it's linked to the lady's point before about about finance and who gets to make it into that sort of exclusive club where you can call yourself an artist. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously that's being challenged at the moment, the idea of the establishment. Um, so, I, you know, I'm not sure if you tipped around it intentionally, but it seems like something's being broken down. And I just wondered if there were any thoughts that you all had about that. It's an interesting question, given that the audience is about 90% female. Well, you know, should I? Go on. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that there is an establishment, you know, th there's always an elite club in anything that you do. Um, but then you can actually, because I, I was talking earlier that the establishment is actually there so that you can make another establishment, you know, so, and it's, it's been like that for years. So there will, be an, there will be the establishment, and then there will be the anti-establishment that becomes really cool, and then that becomes, you know, I mean, modernism is now the establishment, really. But modernism was the avant-garde, it was, it was on, on, on the margins. And I think that just because of human nature, I mean, that will always be there, but then the really great thing about artists is that the establishment was there to actually be broken down. Because I remember when, um, it was really good when, when Margaret Thatcher was in power because as an artist, there was something to kind of be rebellious against. And then when Tony Blair did Cool Britannia, that, oh, no. <laughs> you know, so, so, you know, I mean, I, I, I think that, um, you know, the establishment won't really go away. I mean, artists have, just have to come and kind of, you know, knock it down. I think there is a big issue with diversity still. It's not solved, it's not resolved by any stretch of the imagination. There's still a lot of work to be done. And, mm. yeah. It is actually very interesting to reflect on the Royal Academy in 1980, speaking of modernism and then the kind of break, the postmodern new spirit in painting show, mm. organised by Nick Sirota and Norman Rosenthal. How many women artists were in that show? Mm. Absolutely um, none. none. <coughs> yeah. 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 Yes, yeah. You, you had a question. Um, yes, you. Thank you. Just a comment. Um, all the talking you've been talking about here is about art that's been lucky enough to be displayed and seen by people and judged. And that probably is a very small percentage of the total art there is lying around we don't know anything about. Yeah. Think about the cavemen in the south of France. Their stuff was lying around for thousands of years before somebody said what a wonderful piece of art it was. Mm. Yeah. I think that's why, that's why we talked about the artist in the studio who was making his work. And that wasn't really being seen by anyone. But to him, you know, that was really good work. And I think he felt that he was successful. And he didn't have to show that, show the work. You know, and I think I would agree with that artist that, you know, he was a successful artist in his own right. Um, so I don't, I don't think there can be one way of measuring success. I think it's what we're trying to say, really. I think um, I've always thought in the UK that there was probably poetry everywhere um, in people's books, in their book, bookshelves that they've written and un unread and unseen. And it's probably true with art as well. Well, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of very good stuff hanging around that we unfortunately haven't seen. And of course, it is a responsibility of 
I mean, it's very hard to cover everything. People can't have an overview, but it's the responsibility of writers, critics, curators to, in a way, seek out the least or the not so obvious, not just to plunder the old and discover them like a new world. <laughs> well, um, you, the point about diversity, sorry, because I, I don't want to drop that, because I think you made, a very, you, make, you made a very important point about diversity. Uh, because when I was at art school, I was actually the only black student there. And, you know, and I think that the art world generally is quite elitist. Mm. And, you know, I've actually, I've just created a show uh, of artists of African origin and of the diaspora, of the African diaspora, and there are many black artists there in the show, artists of the civil rights movement in the United States, plus uh, a lot of contemporary black British artists too, and young artists, so it's a mixture of different generations. So that's a question that's very, very important when you're talking about success. Who gets successful, exactly. you know, uh, and that's, and of course we know about, you know, the feminist art practice uh, that, you know, over the past few years, we know about, you know, Gorilla Girls, and what, what the Gorilla Girls have been challenging, the uh, collections of mainstream museums, you know, it's full of, you know, uh, usually white male artists. So politically, um, that's something that, well, my whole, my whole career is kind of, you know, much, you know, based on this, kind of challenging the establishment and what kinds of people, you know, get to be successful. I mean, I think recently, uh, you all know that, uh, you know, Jean-Michel Basquiat's painting mm. got sold for, I think, was it about 100 million pounds? Yeah. Uh, but when he was alive, I mean, he didn't have that kind of success. Um, so there's something about the market as well has something to do, you know, with, with all that. Um, you know, so, you know, those are very impo important questions about success, like who gets to be successful. Okay, I kind of want to say a thank you, because I actually work for you, Yinka, doing the sewing. And I'm actually from Essex. I didn't have... Um, a wealthy background, so you can't really be angry at the rich kids because, you know, it's up to you and the grafting you do to make your opportunities. So I also work for Idris Khan as well and Sandra Shashi, I think you know her as well. Um, working for these artists has given me the opportunity and the ability to do residencies like Espositivo and like, I would never thought I'd be able to do that but it's putting yourself out there and meeting the right people and working with your peers who are all in the same boat. We're all young artists, we're all together, and it's been so great to do that, and I want to say thank you for that, and also thanks for getting the dinner at Silk Road for our leaving thing. That was really lovely of you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thanks. Thank you. So who was it next? Was it you? Yes. Yes, it was the... You need to do the old what's it. Speak into that, please. It was a, just a question about um, what it takes to be, what is a good artist and what is a successful artist? And I think in terms of a good artist, I think in the olden days, it used to be how well do you paint? How well can you mm -hmm. get the likeness of a portrait? And how can you, and then it became more about how can you get the personality of that person through the art. And then it became in the 80s and 90s much more about the idea. 
Uh, and it didn't have to be about the craft so much, but more about the ideas that you have and how do they resonate with society and, and the audience and the interaction with the audience. And now it's broadened out. And I think my question is um, linked to what we were saying earlier about being recognized by your fellow artists, but also about how are you selected, how are you seen. Let's say that you are making work. Um, that work as an artist, you're never completely satisfied. I think Van Gogh himself was never satisfied with his own work. Um, and, and you have a certain amount of satisfaction, but you're never fully satisfied. And um, it's more, my question is about selection. So for example, Jonathan and, and everybody else, but you know, particularly Jonathan, um, when you are selecting works for these biennales um, around, the work, around the world, I'd be really very interested to find out you know, what is your brief? Um, is there a brief or not? And what is the difference between being in one Biennale or another Biennale? Let's say, you know, the mm -hmm. Venice Biennale, what are they looking for? Um, what is the, you know, the Palestinian Biennale? I'm half Palestinian, actually. I'm very happy to hear about this. Bethlehem might ask you about it but later. But uh, how are they selected? Yeah, yeah it's, a really, it's a really good point. And it was that, and, and relates back to what I was saying at the beginning. The um, you know the indefinable nature of of art. I mean, before it could be about technical virtuosity, and it's not just the 80s and 90s. It goes all the way back to the beginning of modernism and Duchamp's gesture uh, with the with the ready-made, and then of course the idea that it's not simply a question of making a gesture it's a, and transmitting a signal. It's about the reception of the of that gesture, and that there is an equation between between what the artist. Does and the and then the grey matter of the of the person who encounters it. So I'm I mean I'm absolutely of that um, school, and and that you know there's not much point making an artistic gesture if there isn't an audience. In fact, I don't think that it probably exists, and there's no inherent artistic quality in anything. It's all to do with relationships and the, and you know what is projected onto an art object or. Uh, or some other artistic gesture. So when it comes to um, to me, I mean, if, and it's the same story that applies to art prizes and probably who gets into an art school, who's on the jury. It's incredibly personal, you know. And, it, and if I didn't, if it didn't seem to sort of resonate with me, mm. if I if I'm the curator of a particular program, as I am at Icon or or putting together an exhibition in Sydney or in Sharjah or wherever, then, uh, you know, there would be no point. And, th and it's up to me to, to, to uh, be successful in judging what an audience will deem relevant, exciting, new, challenging, relevant to an important one. You know, is it, um, is it adding to a conversation that's going on globally not just within the art world, but more generally and, more and culturally. Yeah, more politically. So probably has more to do with the question of relevance, and, you know, and then who decides we're that. We're going to take a couple... Sorry, to, I had to interrupt you. We're going to take a couple more questions, and then we're going to, I'm going to wind up. But So, please, you're going to ask a question. Me? Yes. Oh, hello. OK. Um, you're all in really powerful positions to um, define the success or otherwise of artists, and it's been a really interesting discussion I do think that dying is a bit of a tall order. Um, what is dying? <laughs> I don't want to um, kind of add a negative note, but I, I wanted to ask you, what would you tell us not to do, and what would your advice be on dealing with setbacks? <laughs> yeah. 
don't, <laughs> don't stop making. Um, keep looking at art and keep curious. Um, and uh, I think that's all of that is just really important. It's, it's keeping, it, keeping it alive, feeding it, feed the. Um, and what not to do. Don't um, try to please. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And, and I do think relevance is really important. I think, I think we need to be, artists need to make work of their time. Um, I, mean, I, have, I have a thought on that, or when you finish. That I think that's yeah. um, Don't ever follow the market. The market should follow you. Yeah. Very important. Um, I think running out of time like mad. You wanted to ask something, please, and you're here in front. And there's, there's one, one. I know there's someone up there. Okay, and you and then you and then we'll finish. I mean, I'll say something then we'll go. <laughs> yeah. When you're defining artistic success, uh, to what extent are you looking at the art, and to what extent? Does the artist themselves become the art form? Because I'm thinking of people like Frida Kahlo, uh, Salvador Dali. Oh. Is that just excessive um, self-promotion, or is, is that actually success? Yinka. Well, I think Jonathan, you mentioned, um, you know, you mentioned Pia earlier. Um, I think that. Artists kind of make their own image, you know. So I think that um, fame is something which is kind of created anyway. There's no such thing as intrinsic fame. You know, there's kind of PR involved. And an artist, you know, if you're a show person and you want that kind of thing, because you know that you can sell your work by promoting yourself, there's, a, there's no real separation between the show person and the actual work. But artists can actually create that. Everything is a myth. You know, it's all mythology. And if you want to be really famous, you can make yourself become really famous. It's just up to you. And I think artists do that to promote their work. Mm. That's brilliant. That's true. Mm. Question, uh, please, and then. So I'm an art student, and this entire talk reminds me of this um, instant I had. Um, this instance I had with my best friend at my uni library. Basically, we came across one of um, our tutors that was just mentioned in the book, and it was like written, oh, Royal School of Art. And we go like, okay, let's look at what he studied before. And we're like, um, not as great as a uni. So that's the parameters that we as students, as youngsters, define success, maybe. And we go like, okay, um, to be specific, I think the university may have been University of Glasgow that he may have studied in before. So, um, and then we're thinking, okay, so if he has gotten into that, um, into the Royal School of Art after having studied into um, a sort of above average university, then what are our chances? And sort of, where do you think the Royal School of Art stands on these bars, and what would you like to tell us today as you know, youngsters um, representing art in London and all of that? So is that about, 
I'm not, I'm not quite clear. Are you saying what, what should a young artist do now? Is that, is oh, that no, no, no. The way we're defining success in our head is like um, the tutor that we came across was we immediately thought of, okay, he wasn't from a not so, he was, he did his undergraduate at a not so, um, at a, at an above average university, and then he got into yeah. the Royal School yeah. of Art. Mm. I, I think um, that, uh, I really think that in the end, um, there are really amazing art schools all over the place, and yeah. the, the departments vary a lot, and they're very different, um, maybe to the standing of a university. And I think that given that three years opportunity to do an undergraduate in fine art that um, if you are committed to it and you work really hard wherever you're studying you can you can come through and you can make things happen yourself this goes back to that thing of get with your other friends get with your other really determined people and and, and make your own art make your own art world anyway honestly what I, I know this has been the most broad range that's exactly, I think, I hope, what I hoped would come out of it, that we would actually jump all over the place. And, and so the thing is that, in a way, this talk has paralleled, has been a mirror for our relationship to art, i.e. there are no answers. You don't try and follow the markets. You, you don't try and please. So the language we use is not exact, exact in art, you, there's not a correlation between intention and execution. There's not an obvious one. Language is one thing, art is something else. There's a gap between thought and result, honestly. <coughs> Formal, physical, emotional. If you go to art school and you think you're doing what you're meant to do and you say it and then you think what you're making looks like what you say, you, you're, you're in disaster land. And the gap is art, the gap is art. And so when we talk about success, we're dealing, when we talk about success, we're not talking about rich and famous or the opposite. We're talking about something very nebulous. And so in a way, this talk and you fantastic panel have characterized it perfectly. And the questions as well. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. For more information about the Royal Academy, please visit www.royalacademy.org.uk.